Back on Smith and Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. All right, Jonesy, at the at the risk of uh, jinxing things and and having the gremlins creep into your microphone or your connection again, uh, I'm going to circle back to last hour because you didn't have a chance to make your point. So before we bring on our next guest, uh, I waxed poetic for quite some time on Isaiah Stewart and LeBron James, and you were trying to make a point about Detroit and the fight game and, and just your own two cents on the two game for Stewart and one game suspension or suspensions that were levied by the league yesterday for James and Stewart. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I, I know you had said yesterday like three to five for Stewart. I just I just know that they don't, uh, you know, first-time offender, not much of a reputation. LeBron's been not a dirty player. He's been he's been clean his whole career. Uh, people will talk about him embellishing and flopping and stuff, but um, nothing malicious towards other players. I thought it would be a fine for LeBron and maybe a game for Stewart. And maybe they're trying to say you need like hockey. We always talk about you got to be in control of your stick. Well, basketball, you got to be in control of your body. And, you know, there was some other stuff going on there. LeBron was saying, hey, man, I'm I've been in this league, you know, for for since I was 19 and you're just 20. So just easy there, young fella. And he was just trying to maybe send him a little message. But I, I'm sure he didn't want it to come off like that or, or produce that kind of damage. So. I'm kind of surprised that LeBron got a game, uh, but Stewart gets more than LeBron. So if you give LeBron one, Stewart has to get two. And then what does it look like if you're the league and you don't do something to LeBron and just find him after drawing blood? So, uh, you know what? I'm I'm okay with the way it worked out. I you know I I, I could have seen it going a different way, but but that's fine. And my point was your uh, your. Um, your your moniker for the arena little caesars wanting to call it caesars palace that's where all the big fights were in the 80s mm-hmm. you know hagler hearns uh leonard uh leonard hearns uh, like all those fights you know leonard duran they were all in vegas at caesars and i was so disappointed um i had never been to vegas i remember you going for the all-star game and coming back and telling me about it i always heard about it never been and I, I'm a regular now because of summer league. I went to the spot where they had the fights. Yeah, I was so disappointed. It was a freaking parking lot. It was a parking lot. Like, you know, you're on, you're watching on TV. It's like, oh, Caesar's Palace, Las Vegas. It's a parking lot. They're fighting. It's like a brawl. They're fighting in a parking lot. They just happen to put a ring up. So, anyway, so so it goes. So. Uh, maybe you will change the name, name E when you you know win the lottery or take some of your your riches and change the name from Little Caesars Arena to Eric Caesars Palace or something like that. Yeah, I'd have to come up with a good name. I don't know if I'd go with Eric Caesars, but I, I, I'm telling you, I keep wanting to call it Caesars Phones Palace. Phones and socks arena. <laughs> hey, come on now, don't don't be don't be putting things on the air, Jonesy. Come on now, don't put things on the air. <laughs> Nobody needs to know about that. Um, <laughs> I think I just I, I every time I think of Little Caesars Arena now though I, all I can think about and this is totally selfish folks but man that new arena in Detroit first of all go because it's a nice place it's a great arena good sight it's lines intimate. everything else yes yes I, I love it but from our selfish perspective the media room and the meal I'm telling you it is it is a a dream like the 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 pizza and whether regular or top three crust and the deep dish and the crazy bread and oh my goodness the food is just off the charts because they're just feeding you all the all that stuff that you shouldn't have that you love and man just dive into it right 
they they are they are top three in the NBA. I, I'm excluding yeah. Toronto because nothing's better than home. But uh, top three in the NBA for media meals. And then, Eric, you can also have healthy stuff too. Like they do have salads and stuff, but unlike <laughs> us, it dives straight for the pizza and the breadsticks and, and the ice cream machine just to the left. <laughs> That's a pregame meal, man. It's like having cake for breakfast when, uh, when your parents aren't home. Yeah, so oh, wait a David, minute, I David am a Thorpe's, parent now. D- David Thorpe's <laughs> dialed in right now going, what in the hell did I sign up for? I know I've been on with these guys. Why are they talking about food and, and healthy choices? I thought we were talking basketball. Uh, analyst at True Hope, co-host of the Bring It In podcast, uh, David Thorpe, join us. David, thanks for the time. Uh, my pleasure. David, I, I want to start with Scotty Barnes. We can jump around a bunch of different things around the NBA and get your uh, your insight on, on things. But Scotty Barnes, you know him quite well. Um your assessment on his first basically month in the league, and, and and I saw a stat the other day or a number thrown out that he has now played more minutes than he did last year at Florida State. <laughs> He's only a month into his season in the NBA. It, I mean, as a rookie, it comes at you fast and furious, the fact that, hey, you're a pro now, but Barnes seems to be checking a whole lot of boxes early on. For sure, yeah, I mean, uh, I've read that people seem concerned that he struggled to, to make some shots the last couple of games, but I would, I would point to what you just said. Uh, there's, there's a, the myth of the rookie wall um, exists. I don't know why. It's not a rookie wall. It's just a roller coaster. The fastest they've ever been on uh, in college and then before that high school, there's just so much more time to breathe. And these guys just don't have a lot of time to breathe. And it's not just because of games and then practices, and then games and shoot-arounds and practice, whatever. It's all the other things you have to do as an adult for the first time in their life. They really are on their own. It's just a dizzying thing for these guys. So um, I watched tape of his last two games where he didn't shoot very well. I was very happy with the kind of shots he's earned, the mindset he has. I would say I guess the best way to encapsulate what we've seen this first month of the season is he has a tantalizing amount of talent that allows you to start daydreaming about, you know, MVP type level performances. That doesn't mean necessarily he'll ever put up enough numbers as a scorer to be a league MVP. It's possible. He has to get a lot better for that. But you could see now that 24, 25, 26, 27 year old Barnes is going to be good enough to be the best player in a postseason series or two or three. Uh, I remind everyone all the time that Giannis didn't win his first MVP until his sixth season. It's it's a it's a long fast crazy roller coaster and Barnes looks great right now he still has to get much much better but you you guys should be very excited David you you I could go in a couple directions with you there uh talking about um you know the rookie wall and all that but but I, I let's start with this a lot of people uh including pundits and experts in our field as as analysts and broadcast types and and people that watch the game were extremely surprised when the Raptors did not, you know, make the pick that everybody thought they would, and they picked Scotty Barnes. I'm sure you probably said, knowing him the way you do, you know, because everybody gets their GM uh, certification after watching the NCAA tournament for three weekends. Um, I'm, I'm sure you probably said, I'm sure you probably said, okay, Toronto's made a made a, a good pick there. What? He didn't even, as you said, he didn't even start on his, he didn't play a lot on his team at Florida State. But what for you said, you know what, that's a good pick for the Raptors. 
Well, I mean, just in terms of evaluations, uh, I had him rated as the number two prospect behind Mobley, really with a coin flip. And had I not had a son that played at Florida State, because I don't know, Scott, I just watched all of his games. Uh, because of the pandemic, I didn't go up there a single time and see the team. I had one visit with my son for you know one night, basically the next morning, and then we left because we did not want to introduce the virus to the team and have them shut down. So uh, uh, had my son not be there, I would have probably picked him number one. It's close. I just didn't want my bias to get people thinking, well, that's why he picked him. So I put Mobley one, who I'm very happy with. I thought both would be – I just thought they were the two best prospects in the draft, and Cunningham was third. Uh, and I don't ever worry about fit and style and all of that. That's uh, the, the job in this business is to accumulate as much talent as possible for the right amount of money. And uh, as a rookie, Barnes just had more talent, I thought, at that pick than anyone else they could have taken. So I thought they chose wisely. And – I think you have a brilliant coach in Nick Nurse, and I think he has and will continue to figure stuff out. Uh, you know, one of the things that makes it a little harder for someone like Barnes, although rookies in general have more of a challenge now because of this, uh, so because teams are switching so much, uh, they, they kind of have to learn to guard a lot more than what they did even just five, six years ago. In Barnes's case, I mean, he's playing from center. He is a he is a he played point guard in college. You were right to say he didn't start, but that was by choice. He was one of the best three players on the team. They actually had three players drafted. Um, He chose to come off the bench after hurting his ankle a little bit in, like, week one of the season and just said, you know what, I don't mind coming off the bench. It's okay. Uh, And they play a lot of guys. I mean, last night they played 17 players, Florida State did. Uh, uh, That's just how they do things. Um, But there's there's just no question that with, with what you guys have there now, and with what I think Coach Nurse can do, he can just do some things. You can you can scheme for him uh, in a way that you just can't scheme for most players. And then on the other end, he can you can do some things with him scheme wise defensively that make it much harder. Uh, here's a great example: the other night you all played Golden State, and Scotty Barnes kept trying to score one on one against Raymond Green. It was just it was comical to me watching it. Like, what are you doing, man? That's Draymond Green. Uh, it's nice to be able to be a, a, the kind of defense where you know I can put someone on you and that guy's not really going to score, and then we can just play from there. Scotty could be that guy one day defensively. He's out there now. He's, he's a rookie. He's 20 years old. But there's going to be a time soon, one year, two year, three years, where uh, his coach is going to be able to say, okay, take this guy out of the game. You still have all responsibilities, but anytime it's one-on-one, it's just you and him, and that guy's really going to struggle to score. That's the kind of upside Scotty has on the ball. And then we know what kind of Draymond uh, effect he has defensively off the ball. Scotty can have a similar impact. Um, and then you see what Draymond does offensively as a passer. This is where I think Scotty can really um, innovate and become a much more impactful player. It's, you've got to get the reps. It's going to take time. Speaking with David Thorpe, analyst at True Hoop, co-host of the Bring It In podcast. You know, David, you, you mentioned, obviously, not only Barnes himself as an individual and the impact that, that Nick Nurse can have, Going back to the draft as well, the stones that it took uh, to to fly in the face of what all the alleged experts were saying, uh, and go with the gut and go with the guy that you thought was the best fit, the 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 one that you had pegged, Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster making this selection, and then now here we are in the reality of the season itself, and it's not like go down to the G League and hone your skills. It's 
baptism by fire in the starting lineup and go learn every single night playing heavy minutes and being a key cog. And, and they obviously saw what you saw and saw something. And it took a, you know, it, it, I think it took guts to make the pick. And you could see the excitement, even just back on draft night, the footage from, from Masai to Bobby to Scotty himself, just the joy of them getting the guy that they truly wanted. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. It's ridiculous that, that, that we have to look at it this way. The reality is it would have taken guts to draft a six foot two guy in this league. I mean, I don't know that people are really paying attention to how gigantic these men are. All right. My son, six foot three, is the second smallest guy in his college team where Scotty was last year. These are, these, this is a league of enormous athletes who are incredibly gifted, brilliant basketball players. The idea that someone is the size of Jalen Sugg, six two, six three, six four, make up whatever number you want. The idea that that guy is going to be better than this 6'8", 6'9", cat who's got a 7-plus wingspan and a 38-inch vertical jump and who loves to compete and play and has such exuberance, it was extraordinary to me that anyone would think it was more likely that the little guy was going to be better than the bigger guy. I didn't understand it. It made no sense to me at all. Now, I thought Suggs had a chance to be a very good player, and I still think he has a chance to be a very good player. But this is a league of gigantic men who are very fast and very long. And so when you don't have that, it takes that much more talent to make up for it. And there's just not a lot of those guys around. And I didn't see anything in college to make me think Suggs was that guy. He's not a great shooter. He's not a great athlete. I mean, what are we talking about here? Jalen Green at least is really long and athletic. He is, he, I don't think he's got a better chance to be as good as Barnes and Mobley because it's a big man's league. It doesn't mean a big center's league. These are big men that play, Mobley and Barnes play every position on the court. In Barnes' uh, case... He really does defend all five positions. David, you're right. You're so right. It's the evolution of the game, and and uh, you being of that certain vintage, and I know because I yeah. kids in co- I got kids in college too, and and uh, they always say a good big beats a good little every day. At the end of the game, the big guy's still big. The the little quick guy gets tired, and and uh, I just I, I just look at the way the NBA is going right now. So I love the pick, and and. Talk about the program too, David, because I think this is underplayed too. Um, there are times when, you know, back in the day, you, you draft a Carolina kid, you're getting a skilled kid. You draft a Marquette kid, you're getting a grinder. You, you draft a Louisville kid, they've got a high motor. When you draft a Leonard Hamilton kid, you're getting, uh, you know, a, 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 a character culture type of guy because of the way he is and the way he runs his program. Well, that's about the smartest thing I've heard from a radio person in a long time because not everyone knows that. Uh, if you're in the business, <laughs> then you know you're right. Like if you, if there's a reason my son could have gone almost anywhere to play basketball, even as a walk-on. There's a reason why he's at Florida State. Like I, right. I, I'm, I know the business. <laughs> I want help in raising my son to be an amazing person. My wife and I have done the best we can, but he's gone now. We needed, we needed to trust where we were sending him. So you're exactly right. And I'll just give you a, just watching them play last night, for example, in a in a tournament against Missouri in the championship game. And they, like I said, they played 17 guys. They played, you know, 10, 11 guys in the first half. And there are some players on their team, just like Scotty Barnes and Patrick Williams the year before that, uh, and Terrence Mann and all these other guys they've had that would have loved to play 32, 33 minutes. But they weren't conscripted to go to Florida State. They chose to go. Some of them transferred from schools where they might have played more minutes. Uh, but these are guys that understand the we-me relationship in, in, our, in our sport. I wrote a book in 2017 called Basketball is Jazz, which we really, it's more, like more of a memoir, but this is our sport. Is we all are interconnected, and the best 
the best guys to understand that aspect of the we and me relationships. Um, I just think they're much better for the NBA with the exception of the true superstars. And to your point about littles and bigs, the only time the little has the advantage over the big is they shoot like Steph Curry. I mean, that's, right. I'll give you that. Steph Curry is incredible, but, but he's as unicorn as anyone else that we ever talk about as unicorns. He's just a smaller version. Um, I think that the, what Florida State has been doing in the last five years, I think it started with Jonathan Isaac's class, is what they say. I don't, I'm a Gator. I went to the University of Florida, their arch rival. I didn't follow Florida State closely. I just knew their coaches well. They made a change in how they're running their program, how they're selecting their recruits. Scotty is very, very representative of all the guys that they have. They understand that the, the game is about winning as a collective group, not as an individual. That plays extremely well in the NBA. As long as you remember when you look like Scotty Barnes, you still have to try to do some things on the me side. Like he was, he, if, you're, if you guard Scotty with a small guy, he takes you right to the basket. 60-plus percent of his shots are within 10 feet. That's exactly how it should be. As he gets better from the perimeter, I think he should probably shoot more from the perimeter. But right now, play bully ball. So you, ha- you can't just be a passive player and make it in this league uh, or just a defender. You need more than that. They draft him top five for a reason. But he understands that it's about us scoring, not me scoring. Right now, I credit Scotty. I also credit his guys at Florida State. And most rookies tend to learn that much, much later. Uh, the fact that he's already figured this out, again, a credit to both him and, and the program he came from. Speaking with David Thorpe, David, it's interesting you, you bring up that me versus we. And, and listen, don't get me wrong. Everybody would love to have LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry or whatever and have one of the true superstars in the game, Giannis, et cetera. But we often will look at a team and say, well, let's look at the Chicago Bulls, not like Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan or, or Lonzo Ball or, or Nikola Vucevic are stiffs by any means. They're, they're all-star right. players. They're great players. Yeah. But it's the collective unit. We still reference the early 2000s and the Pistons, Rip Hamilton and Ben Wallace and Rasheed Wallace, the team, and how they became stars because of the collective we instead of the individual me. So as much as we often focus as fans on having that superstar – how many times do we also reference that that superstar maybe hasn't won a championship, let alone multiple championships, or struggled to even get there because as good as he was on his own or as good as he was with having a Batman and a Robin, there was nobody else around and having to build that true team and complement the roster properly. And that seems to be where you have more success than anything else as opposed to just trying to ride the coattails of a star. Well, I think we recognize, and especially with the, the, the advanced analytics that are, have invaded our, our game, in my case, thankfully, and I'm grateful for it, uh, we recognize that when you have four good players on the court and one bad one, you tend to be not nearly as good as you have four good players and an average one. Or and then if you have five good players, you're even better. Phoenix Suns, who, who's their superstar? Uh, Chris Paul used to be a superstar uh, in terms of on court. He's, he's a superstar off the court. But no one would argue he's one of the best five or six players now. Devin Booker is very good. DeAndre Heaton, chance to be very good. In fact, he's really getting better. The goal is to get a bunch of good players who play collectively in a connected way. And then through good coaching, through ambition from the players and hard work in the offseason as well as during the season, you get some to develop into stars. I mean, for the Raptors to be a champion, they're going to need Adenobi, Siakam, Barnes to take a big step. Freddie, maybe even Freddie, although he's so good right now, um, it's hard to see him get much better. But these, 
And Siakam, too, may have a tough time ever getting back even to where he was just because of injury. But if he does, there's one hell of a player. you got to get OG and you got to get Barnes to, to grow into that star mold. And now all of a sudden you've got a shot. Now you can really compete for a championship and not just a solid playoff team. Uh, again, the goal is to accumulate as much talent as possible uh, with, you know, at, at a cost uh, limit that you have to pay attention to and, and develop them into a team. This is what we're trying to do. And uh, I think besides done great, the Raptors done great. There's a culture there too, guys. I mean, Florida State's famous for their culture in college basketball. I think it's the best in the country. Uh, I think Toronto is amongst the elite pro teams and all of, uh, globally for basketball. I have players I've trained all over the world. Uh, what Toronto has done, what they've created, I think is, is pretty rare. And so there's a real chance you guys can reach your potential because of that. Yeah, David, I, I agree. And uh, culture is so important and it's this, nebulous thing that we can't define and i've tried to think of it as a way of doing things with expectations attached and and uh you know i look at coach hamilton and he does that and you know some of the spots in the nba you know toronto's one of them you know golden state has that and and developing that culture and and picking the right people i want to circle back david to something we talked about earlier um when when the raptors you know drafted scotty and uh they draft these kids so young I mean, he's what he's like a year removed from the high school prom in the AAU for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah. Um, the development of these guys is so critical. It's not like, you know, back in the 80s, even Michael Jordan. Oh, he came out early. Well, he was a junior. He, he had three years in college. And and you talk about how fast and furious it comes to them and they don't have time to breathe. Uh, the advantages sometimes of drafting a four year player who is a little more mature, understands a little bit of time on his own, has learned the game because some of the young guys come in, David, and they're learning not only the NBA game, they're still learning, quote, basketball and how to play, period. So that that makes it tough on general managers. Yeah, what I've been saying recently on podcasts, uh, I think I've got it crystallized pretty well, to your point. Uh, I happen to think, and I've been in the skilled oil business since the 90s, I started coaching the 80s, most people think that I was the first person in America to actually do player development for a business back in 1993. So I've been doing skill development for a long time. I personally think it's easier to teach a player skills than it is to teach them how to play. And so one of the benefits of drafting, for example, a Cam Johnson, uh, uh, who's now doing very well in Phoenix, the Duarte kid now for the Pacers, who's 24 years old. There's a 23, 24-year-old Florida State right now named Malik Osborne, who really knows how to play and is an elite athlete, but he's almost for sure not going to get drafted because he's 23, 24 years old. Uh, the, the advantage of seeing those guys in college is you already know that they've learned how to play, if indeed they have. If they're, if they're not effective as players, but they're very talented dribblers or athletes, well, they're not going to make it because they've not figured out yet and they've been in college four or five years. So at least you know they've learned how to play. That, to me, is why Scotty Barnes, for example, is a no-brainer, same as Evan Mobley. You could not watch those guys in college and think they don't know how to play at all. That doesn't mean they're ready to be NBA stars. Of course they're not. But, but uh, skills, again, I've done this for a living for three decades now. They're easier to teach than getting guys to understand how to use those skills, how to combine them with actually winning games with your teammates. Uh, there's, there's very few Allen Iversons out there in the world that can just go beat everyone all the time. They, they almost don't exist. You need to play with the four other dudes, and then you, you better make sure you get along well with your guys that are coming off the bench. I mean, all that stuff matters when you talk about culture. And so, to me, 
that's the challenge of the GM is, is and the executives in general is do we do we focus on the player that like Jalen Green is a great example. Absolutely no idea how to play, and right now the Rockets are getting murdered when he's on the court. Murdered. He's very exciting. He's very talented, uh, but I didn't have him rated as high as a lot of others because I don't know if he's ever going to figure out how to play. Same as Jonathan Kaminga out in um, Golden State. He's got a shot. Both those guys can be absolute stars, uh, or they cannot be, because I don't know that they, they, it's just hard to know how to play, at least in Kaminga's case. He, and same as Scotty, surrounded, being surrounded by guys that know how to play is, is, is almost like a cheat code. The, the 30 second story I'll tell you is I had a, a, a very good high school player that was going to a low level D1 school, but he played hard and he was six foot eight. And when he was playing with my pros, Back when I used to let my pros play pickup in the in the early 2000s, he looked like he was going to be an NBA player. And then I put him in with the college kid. Remember, this kid was 18 year old high school senior still. He hadn't started college yet. When he was on the court with the college players, he was terrible. He looked exactly what he was, a high school kid playing with the college kids. With the NBA players, he looked like a future pro. It's so much easier to play with guys that know how to play. Spacing, timing, pace, setting people up, not being in a rush. Pros read the game. College kids play the game, and it makes a big difference. So, David, so we, oh, sorry, go ahead, Jonesy. So, David, just to follow up on that point, because this is an area that I've always been interested in. As I said, I'm a, I'm a little older in this business, and there were guys back in the 70s and 80s who were great athletes but couldn't play and couldn't make yeah. teams. And the emphasis was on the guy knows how to play. I mean, look at a let's look at a Larry Bird. Take his skill away. You would look at him and say, well, that guy knows how to play. Like he uses his skill the right way. He can't. He doesn't yeah. run fast. He doesn't jump high. But man, he's skilled and he knows how to play. So, where do you put the emphasis on in terms of a guy knowing how to play, or let's give him the skill and then try to surround him? Yeah. So, Magic Johnson, Chris Paul, uh, it's not just Larry Bird, of course. Be, you know, Chris Paul now isn't beating anyone with athleticism, and he wasn't doing it then either when he was 21 years old. Uh, Chauncey Billups, another player that used to always play as an athlete, and then he realized, I, I don't know if he consciously realized this, but if you remember the old Pistons with Chauncey, he was, it was like he was, I call him a robo-point guard, like he had a computer for a brain. He could just quickly evaluate everything at a faster processing speed. Actually, you guys are in Toronto. Kyle Lowry, we know, has brilliant processing speed. He just sees the game faster than almost everyone else does, and that's why he can be great despite clearly not looking like an NBA athlete. And I've been to a wedding with Kyle Lowry. He's a little dude, but what he does requires not just toughness, but a brilliant processing brain. So for me, I'm always going to lean towards the guys that know how to play and hope that I could teach them the skill before I would, I would take the great athlete with skill that has no, no clue how to play. Because the other factor is, and this, it can be fixed, but ego plays a part of it. When you have that kind of athleticism and skill and don't know how to play, you still make great highlights. And in today's world, that's YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and everything else. And so why would they want to change what they're doing when they're getting to be really famous playing that way? That the hope is that if they lose enough, Anthony Edwards in Minnesota is a great example. He's a breathtaking guy to watch. But is he helping win games? We, we, we have to remain that, – that remains to be seen. I, I've heard great things about the kid. It's fun to watch. But learning how to win games is really hard. That's why so few players do it. Not a lot of guys have won championships, especially as primary players. It's very, very hard, and it requires a brain that allows you to process all those things, sublimate your ego when necessary. Remember, Seth Curry had no problem playing second fiddle to Kevin Durant, but he is every bit Kevin Durant's equal as a player.
And quite frankly, I give credit to KD as well. KD also is someone that is a beautiful person to play with, despite knowing that he could score 50 points a game if he wanted to. He really could. But he gets it. He understands how to play as a group and not just as an individual. And that's why those guys are incredible elite players. David, we appreciate the time and the insight today. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Be safe. Thanks, David. There's David Thorpe, analyst at True Hoop, co-host of the Bring It In podcast, author as well. And uh, Jonesy, it's, you know, touching on all those points about, uh, you know, the, the youth and, 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 you know, going for the type of player, whether it's, you know, skill, talent, et cetera. How many times have we discussed you know, it's not like you're going to flip it around and reward the team that won the championship, the first pick. But there's a reason you're first pick, and there's a reason you're going to that team because they were bad. You know, and that you know, yeah. just to just to just to pick out. And I don't mean to pick on, but pick out Jalen Green. He's going to a bad Houston team. You know, yeah, your stats are going to look good, and but you gotta you gotta really work. He's on a one in sixteen team right now. You know, they've lost yeah, fifteen no, I, in a row. <laughs> like, hey, so you're going to a bad team. And a lot of these guys, and it speaks to, I think, one of the things you were talking about, too, the psyche of a young player going into yep. a game. I've always marveled at the fact, especially stateside, we're, we're a little bit different here in Canada because of 19 being the drinking age, not, that, not to assume that everybody drinks, but just to be able to go out and go into certain establishments. You're 21 years old, but fine. You're 20. You're 19. You're suddenly traveling for the first time all over North America, hopping onto private charter planes. You can't go into certain restaurants or certain bars. You can't even drink a beer or a glass of wine. Uh, you're away from your family, arguably, or potentially for the first time. You're on a 1-16 in 16 team, and you've probably never lost more than five games in your entire collegiate and high school years or careers combined. There's a lot going on mentally, let alone what you have to deal with between the lines. And, and hence, you and I always talk about the people that want to tank, Eric. Oh, tank, get the draft picks. First, you have to draft right. Then you have to develop and hope that the losing habits don't hurt the psyche and or the losing, the consistent losing don't hurt, doesn't hurt the psyche. And, and, and a player doesn't build bad habits because in the face of trying to win and, uh, you know, going away from eschewing proper technique and and approach y- you lose it all and then it becomes worse and and the example i use is myself like i you know you you get to the golf range and you're working on your technique and shallowing the club and everything and then you get out in the course and you say ah screw it i just want to hit it as far as i can and everything that you've learned goes out the window and and, I, and that's what i'm always afraid of with young players, they they haven't lost. They they're not taking the 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 losing as learning and trying to get better from it. They just want to win, so they revert to stuff that they know that they did before that helped them win, and it's not going to work here. And then the cycle starts. and And when do you get out of it? So, uh, I, I you know, you and I have talked about this. I'm winning is never a bad thing. I, I understand those people that want draft picks, but there's so many other things that fa- have to fall into place. And the closest team that ever did that was the Oklahoma City Thunder. They got to the finals. They didn't win. No other team can say, well, we tanked and, 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 and we won. You might have tanked and got a few good draft picks and built through free agency, but you ain't winning doing that consistently.